looking for 100% uh, participation from everyone in a couple of different ways, and you've probably received emails uh, and text messages asking you to just be uh, demonstrable about your faith in some significant and yet small way. Uh, I bought a couple of gift cards, and I handed them out, one of them out yesterday. I still have one more to hand out, and when I did this, you should have seen the look on the face of the guy that I gave it to. And he is a young man who I've come to know at a golf course nearby because I'm into stuff like that. And uh, Jimmy, who just so happens to be from a state in the Midwest called Minnesota, and he lives now in Orange County. And I asked him to, if he had a moment, hey, Jimmy, come over here. And I had a gift card in my hand, and I just shook his hand like that, and he felt it smack into the palm of his hand. And his eyes lit up. He may have thought it was a $100 bill, I don't know. It was not that. But he said, Tobin, what are you doing? I just said, I notice you. He said, God bless you. It's just that simple. So anyway, I hope that you're a part of that movement, discipleship in action, paying it forward would be another great way uh, to talk about it as well. And it's not too late, and it's not just for Advent. It's to train us in a holy habit that can be something that we live, live into and lean into uh, year-round. So I have one more, yet. maybe I'll let you know how that one goes, but it's fun. Praise be to God and thanks be to God. The other thing about PPC is we don't give offerings, we don't take them, at least in the worship service, but on the way out through the narthex, uh, there, are, there are boxes on each wall now, and we did that for traffic reasons and flow so that people can connect and, and visit a little more easy or easier, and they're on each side of the wall in and out of the way out. So anyway, that's where we're at. And uh, week three of Advent, week three of the arrival. First Sunday, we talked about anticipating, living in the now, the new now. Last week, we turned towards it. And today, I'd like for us to search a little bit into who Jesus really and truly is. Let's read the text. Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 to 11. It's a great story. I'm going to head to this screen over here. And, uh, you know, what's funny is, I, what is this, the third week of Advent? I just realized that the sparkly Christmas trees match ours, so, you know, that's how fast I am with some things. Uh, but I noticed that early on in the worship service, and I go, Daniel, you are on it, man. That is really cool. Anybody else just noticed that with me? Okay, thank you very much. You did? All right. We're going to have a Bible study later, I think, and... Uh, all right, here we go. When John, who was in prison, so this is John the Baptist, heard about the works or the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him. Now, this is a great question. This is a great question for all of us. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, that's a question we've all asked ourselves. I mean, is this guy really who he says he is? Truly? Can I bank my whole life on it and lean into it? Jesus replied, and it's kind of a strange response if you ask me. He doesn't come right out and say it. He kind of leaves everybody hanging to a degree. See if you think the same thing. Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. 
In other words, those that can't walk, walk. We use the word lame for other things. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Not the poor in spirit, but the poor. The marginalized folks. Blessed in anyone is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd now about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? I mean, did you go to the Honda Center to see a celebrity? Did you go to Angel Stadium to see a reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you really go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? A rock star? A public figure? An influencer, as we call them nowadays? Now, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Well, then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger, John the Baptist, ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now there's been a lot of prophets, right? And John's now the greatest? Yet, yet, However, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven, and that's you and me, that's you and me, is greater than he. The reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. I had a great experience earlier this week when I went to the coffee shop to run a quick errand and purchase a few Starbucks gift cards. I forgot my cell phone. I panicked when I got in my car. I, re- I literally went like this and it wasn't there. Oh. Oh, what if I break down? What if, what if, what if, what if? I literally panicked for a moment. Didn't have my cell phone. Okay, I can do this. Started it up. Now, the next thing I normally do is I plug in my phone into my Apple CarPlay so I can listen to music. I can do this too just down the street. And I got to tell you, there was this moment of, should I go back in and get my phone? It's a long walk. So I decided to venture out without my device. Something I never do. Do you? Right? And I, by the time I got to Kramer... 
and Madison to turn left, I drove only that far in silence and I thought, hey, this is kind of nice. This silence is kind of nice. In fact, it was sublime. And silence is important at Advent to the arrival in order to anticipate and to turn and to search to ask, are you the one? Are you the one? Or are we expecting someone else? You see, I'm easily distracted. Are you? In 2016, CareerBuilder did a survey on the topic of distractions asking 2,000 hiring and HR managers to identify the top culprits of workplace distractions. Now, there's probably nothing surprising here, but I found it interesting. Smartphones top the list, 55%. We can do it without them. The Internet, 4% only. Gossip, 37%. Gossip in the workplace. That would never happen anywhere but the workplace. Thank you. <laughs> Social media, 37%. Coworkers dropping by to have a little visit, 27%. Snack breaks, 27%. My, my blasted email, 26%. Meetings, 24%. Coworkers, 20%. It's just easy to be distracted, at least for me. I don't know about you. It's hard to maintain that single-mindedness, a focus on the arrival and the search for God amongst us. Sociologists say, I love this phrase, that we're living in an age of, here it is, continuous partial attention. Like many of you are right now while I'm speaking. It just occurred to me. <laughs> and yet silence in the search. Who do you say I am? Asked John and every one of us. Psychiatrist and spiritual writer M. Scott Peck said this, the truth is that our finest moments are most likely to occur when we're feeling deeply uncomfortable, unhappy, or unfulfilled. For it's only in such moments, propelled by our discomfort, that we're likely to step out of our ruts and start searching for different ways and truer answers. That's Advent. Stepping out of the rut. Searching for truer answers. Different ways. In and through silence, devoid of distractions. But man, is it hard, isn't it? Whew. You can do it. John the Baptist was in a similar place. Prison, maybe a rut, 
tired of being on the margins and laughed at? Certainly not sought out by society. He certainly wasn't on the evening news. He's not a celebrity in any way, shape, or form. And he asked that great question. Are you really the one? Jesus, are you the one? Or are we to wait for another? And that's the question at Advent. Maybe other times a year too, but certainly at Advent. Who is Jesus Christ? Now over the course of human history, at least since the time of Christ, people have tried to answer that question and dismantle Jesus as the Christ, and yet we're still talking about Him. We're still carving out time out of our busy, distracted schedules to gather together right here once a week. It occurred to me this morning after 107 years of worship services every single week, what a proclamation of the good news that is to just do this faithfully for a century plus seven. I'm inspired by that. So this morning, I think our text gives us two evidences that Jesus is the Christ in the search and one good question to ask. And we'll see how much time's left, and I may give a little bit more. Extra credit, so to speak. Two evidences that Jesus is the Christ in our search as we wait for the arrival, then and again in the future. First evidence, are you ready for it? You can write notes on the back. Jesus is greater than any prophet. Jesus Christ is greater than any prophet. It comes right out of the text. It's implied in the text. If John's the greatest prophet that ever was, pointing to Jesus, then Jesus is greater than any prophet. Many prophets came before John. Who are some of your favorite prophets? Just go ahead and one at a time yell them out. Isaiah, Isaac, those guys. Elijah, right? There's just a long line of favorite prophets. And they mine their stories. It's, it's, it's incredible. They gave their whole life. Jeremiah. Anybody say Jeremiah? That's probably mine. Is that Beverly? Okay, you and me, Bev. We're like, we're tight. Yeah, you know, Jeremiah. Long list. And yet, as great as all they are or were, John's greater, and yet... We are even greater than John because of the Holy Spirit? Oh. Hmm. Karl Barth regarded John the Baptist as a prototype disciple. Why? Because John the Baptist always pointed to Jesus Christ. Always. It was never about John the Baptist. It was never about Alfredo Delgado. It was never about Len Plick. It was never about Tobin Wilson. It was always about Jesus Christ. That's true discipleship. It's never about our efforts to make Christ known to ourselves or to others. True discipleship knows that we're still learning how to follow differently and new every single day. True discipleship points all people to God and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It's never about anything else, ever. That's why John the Baptist, in every painting you see, is always pointing 
to Jesus the Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, famous in World War II for trying to take down Adolf Hitler and losing his life for it, wrote a poem called Who Am I? And in it, just a few months before he lost his life, he asked that important question, who am I? God, who am I? Because he wondered whether he was a hypocrite, whether he was really doing the right thing. He said this, Whoever I am, you know, O God, I am yours. Whoever I am, you know, O God, I am yours. You see, to be a follower of Christ like John and us is no longer to look at ourselves, but to look at Christ, who is the head of this church and the church and Christ alone. And yet, as great as John was, we're greater in our capacity to point people to that Christ, the Messiah, in the search. I'm humbled, challenged, and also inspired. Common folk like you and me Important as John the Baptist in terms of the realm of God? Hmm. If, if we point to the Christ and to no one or anything else. So the first evidence that Jesus is the Christ is that he's even greater than any prophet. He's God incarnate. Second evidence, right out of the text, and it fascinates me as well. Of all the things Jesus could have said in response to John's question, notice what he actually said. And that's the second evidence, that Jesus brings comfort to the least of these. How do we know that Jesus is truly God? He's greater than any prophet. And look at the things Jesus does. Just look at it. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Leopards are cleansed. The deaf hear. Dead are raised. And the good news is shared with the poor. Jesus brings comfort to the least of these. And it doesn't matter who the least of these are. About a month ago, I went back and visited my mom and dad. My dad's diminishing. In fact, I told a couple people when I came back, my dad's about a tenth of the man I remember my dad being. Dementia. He's not, I mean, he's still lucid. But every night, almost, I was there. There were moments he looked at me and he thought, I can remember the look that he gave me in his eyes like, who are you?
He asked me where I went to high school one night. He asked me where I went to college the same night. If I had any family that helped me get into college and choose a college. As shocking as it was, I played along and I explained, yeah, my my parents really helped me a lot. I'm really grateful to them. He had an imaginary conversation with a friend that was in the room that I know my mom and I didn't see. It's kind of weird watching it. And yet, my dad was becoming more my dad, even in his diminishment. I mean, as he diminished, he was becoming real as well. Tender, soft, always looking for my mom. It was really endearing. They held hands all the time. He doesn't really walk anymore. He can't see. He's got to shuffle. We went and saw an eye specialist. He's blind in one eye and glaucoma in the other. The only letter he could read on the chart and I'm not making this up, was the very first large N that was about 10 inches high. That was his good eye. And yet, even in my dad's diminishment, he was becoming more the Stanley Allen Wilson that he always had been deep down inside. Gave me a new appreciation for growing old. The marginalized were put out to pasture. In the same way Jesus talks about all these folks in the text. We would never put our folks out to pasture. Why would we put anybody else out to pasture? So it truly does make sense that Jesus' response to John the Baptist is remember the least of these. Always. Why would it be anything other than that? So we're left with one question this morning in our search. Are you searching in the right place? Are you searching in the right place? And it comes out of the text. You've got to read through it a little bit, and I hinted at it. I mean, did you really expect to go see a celebrity? One of the reasons Christmas may be difficult for folks is, is that it's easy to look in the wrong place for the wrong thing. And I do that too. Because you can't find the God of the universe in public opinion polls. You can't find Him in the latest returns. You can't find Him in cable and network news or social media. You find Him, Jesus, in the least of these. He's not found in Macy's or at the miracle on 34th Street, but the miracle in Bethlehem. He's not found in the present that I unwrap. 
He's found in the presence in an encounter experience like this. He's not found in celebrity. He's found in the cross. He's not found in hubris. He's found in humility. He's not found in our desire, but He's found in our discipleship. He's not found in avarice. He's found in arete. You can look them up. He's not found in the evening news. He's found only in the good news as the Word of God reveals it and we hear about it in this very room about the ways in which God seeks and saves the lost. This revolution called the realm of God, it will not be televised. There will not be a live stream. It won't happen down at the stadiums. It's lived out in the prophetic witness of the people of God like you and me. May we all find the Christ of the arrival in our own individual search and in our collective search this Advent season. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Amen. Let's pray. That might be a good thing to do in church. In the midst of the wait, in the lovely and sublime silence of the moment, Search our hearts, Holy Spirit of God, that raised Jesus Christ and others from the dead and enliven us to the reality of an encounter with you yet again, afresh and anew. Wake these bones up, refresh and restore, reconcile and reposition as we anticipate and as we turn and as we search in the right place for the right thing at the right time. Teach us to see Christ in the other. That we always work so hard to wash our hands of. For some strange reason, we do.